Welcome to Tips from the Server Room. This podcast is designed for all you systems admins, network specialists, or the guys and gals out there in the office who handles it all. Sit back, relax, grab a beverage, and enjoy Tips from the Server Room. Welcome back, my friends, once again to Tips from the Server Room. This is episode number 110. That's 110 for May the 9th, 2016. I'm your host, Jack. I'm going to help guide you into, through, and back out of the world of systems administration, network administrations, and all things related to the IT field. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Check out all the great tech shows at techpodcast.com. Folks, don't forget, if you're trying to learn Windows Server and you just don't know which way to turn, you know, you, you buy a copy of Server, you load it up on a computer, or you load up on a server, and you're sitting there, you go, what do I do next? Well, I have it. I have the great cure for that pain and suffering. Check out my online courses. And if you go to tipsfromtheserverroom.com, Click on Online Classes at the top of the page. You can learn Windows Server 2008 R2, Windows Server 2012 R2, and VMware ESXi 5.5 R2 Server. Once again, go to tipsfromtheserverroom.com and click on that class link at the top of the page and get started on your future today. For 300 bucks, folks, $300 is nothing compared to what colleges are charging today. And these courses are going to be more hands-on and directly related to what you want to know. Also, check out my website at tipsfromtheserverroom.com where you can comment on these shows. And you can leave me a voice message. You can leave me that voice message at 724-701-0550. Once again, that's 724-701-0550. If you have any questions or ideas for future shows, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at jackstechcorner at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and as at Technoman. Folks, I want to first say, you know, a very, very hearty thank you to everybody out there that's been downloading and listening to these shows. You know, when you look and you get, you know, three, four, three or 4,000 downloads uh, for a weekly show like this for a podcast, it's really, really um, uplifting, I guess you could say. Uh, it makes me feel like, you know, at least somebody is out there listening to the shows. Somebody's out there uh, paying attention to what I might have to tell you or, or uh, talk about each week. And and I think that's a great thing. And and podcasts have really come a long way uh, since I started podcasting several uh, several years ago. Not only on this show, on many other shows that I do. And uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. So thank you so much for subscribing and downloading to the shows. I want to start out this week from a an, an email, uh, and I don't know if you use these or not. Google alerts. If you go, if you have Google, and you know, if you have a Gmail account, let's say, and today, pretty much, who doesn't? It was like back in the uh, back in the early you know '90s when everybody was grabbing up an AOL account. Now we all have Google accounts, so things change from year to year. But I set up Google uh, alerts, and what a Google alert is, you can go in there and say, look, anything you hear about Windows Server. Uh, email me anything it finds on the internet it kind of does its magic looks around the internet and it pulls those alerts down and i also say anything you want to anything you know out there about uh, windows in general 
you know, let me know about. And anything about Office, anything you can tell me about Office, let me know about those daily. And I go through those and see if there's any new things or any interesting things out there. Well, I got this email blast today that says, look, <laughs> Windows 10 free upgrade will leave us in July. Now, I didn't realize this until I started thinking about it, but this is exactly what Microsoft said was going to happen. This is one year, one year from when it first started. If you remember, the free upgrade started last July. And they said they would give you one year to do a free upgrade on your systems. So we're going to talk just briefly here. Uh, should you upgrade for free now or should you wait? But if you wait, folks, the pro version, the pro version of this is going to cost $199. Yep, let me see here. I didn't stutter, but I'm trying to get a piece of lint off my microphone here. The, um, the pro version will cost you $199 per machine. That's per machine, folks, $199 per machine. So if you have 50 machines, that's a lot of dollars. So should you upgrade today for free? Well, that's the thing a lot of people are kicking around right now. And even us in our network, you know, ours is a rather large network. Um, we're getting honestly fewer and fewer Windows machines nowadays. Um, being in education is leaning more towards the Chromebooks. And, you know, the, the whole Google thing, because we're all buying into Google. So if you use our Chromebooks, you're kind of more in that realm of, um, you know, using everything. Like it's a complete buy-in, I guess. And a Google Chromebook is a great experience for an educator education, uh, you know, because it's just straightforward. It doesn't get viruses. It's one of those things that doesn't really get spyware on it. You don't have to worry about upgrading the thing. So why not for the price of those? And you can buy those for $200 per machine. So now you're going to have to say, well, on my Windows machines in my office, and if you have a small office, say you have five or maybe 10 computers running Windows, uh, and if you're eligible for this free upgrade, I would say, go for it. Take that plunge, jump in there right now, and download it and install it on those machines. We did install it on our office machines, as well as um, we have... Uh, about 10 computers in one of our libraries that we upgraded already to Windows 10. And some people said, you know, Jack, you're kind of crazy for doing that. You know, it's kind of on the uh, early side of Windows 10. But the thing I looked at, well, even at $199 per 10 machines, that's going to cost my district a lot of money. So if I jump on it now and we start working on these upgrades, which we did, we were able to get those machines upgraded. And we're currently looking at upgrading some office computers. We did our office uh, as soon as the release came out. Uh, we did our own office workstations, and it has been working uh, for us phenomenally. You know, uh, been working absolutely flawlessly for us in our situation. Uh, we use it every day, all day. Um, we did find the only thing we found, and this could be just a driver issue, or there could be something uh, with the video cards we're using. We used to have three monitors on both of our desks, and we found for some reason the drivers weren't working the way they did before. So we end up now running two monitors on our desk, and it works flawlessly with two monitors. Um, I still have to think maybe uh, being so early, the vendors out there will be coming out with new drivers for the video cards. Uh, you may have to get a new video card because think about this. And a lot of people say, you know, Jack, why does this happen? How come... If there's a new uh, operating system, how come HP, let's say HP for printers, 
how come they won't give us drivers for a printer that we had for 15 years? I mean, you know, and the thing is, I mean, I've written a lot of software myself and to upgrade software and go back that far in your versions and try to fix it or manipulate it to work with the new software, the new operating systems, it's very hard to get those peripherals working correctly. So they want you to buy their new, you know, their new printer uh, to be sure that's going to last down the road for longevity. And I think that's very, very important uh, for all of us to think about. Yeah, you're going to have to lay out some money, but that is something that's going to come down the pike. Now, the printers that we have, though, I'm not trying to scare you off here, but the printers we have have been working flawlessly with Windows 10. Uh, myself and my uh, work partner have been set up, and we have a lot of network printers, so we set all those up on our computers to make sure that everything's going to be compatible. Even our software uh, that we have to run for the district has been working flawlessly. So I'm pretty sure in your business uh, it's going to work. But what I'm going to tell you is before anybody runs out and, uh, you know, you don't have much time left. But if before you run out and do all the computers, let's say you have somebody using QuickBooks. Uh, you know, I got one of my uh, consulting companies that I deal with where they have QuickBooks. And I like to take that software first, whatever versions are running load those up on a test machine and make sure that it's going to be play well with Windows 10. Because you, the worst thing you can do as a consultant out there when you guys are working for businesses is to upgrade all their computers. And then what happens is you say, wait, <laughs> now I got this great free Windows 10 upgrade, but we're going to need some money here because I have to upgrade all your software, um, you know, to get it to work with this new operating system. And the people aren't going to be very, very happy with you at that point. Okay. So anyway, the other thing you got to worry about, and this happens to us a lot in business or in the education realm, um, old software. Sometimes old software, and as I said, I was a programmer for many years. So I would write a piece of software and maybe, just maybe today, somebody's still using software that I wrote you know, back for Windows, I don't know, uh, say I wrote it for Windows uh, Windows XP, let's just say, not even that far, not that long ago. But let's say I wrote it for Windows XP and I used some of their calls to some of their shared uh, DLLs on the system and those DLLs no longer exist and somebody's going to call and say, hey, uh, Jack, can you go back and reprogram all this uh, to make it work? Well, there's going to be an upcharge. Uh, first of all, I have to go back and look at that old code. Maybe I don't even, you know, and I don't write software that much anymore. So there's a good possibility that I have to go back and relearn, reread my comments to make it work for their current, you know, Windows 10 installation. So make sure that any software that you have, you run that on a test machine and make sure it's going to work. You don't have much time because at the end of July, this is gone. The free upgrades are history. And from what I understand is, we originally thought if we downloaded the Windows 10 for free, the ISO created a DVD, we can load it whenever we want. But I believe what they're doing is that machine's not going to activate on their activation servers. It's going to know that when you downloaded it, and it's just not going to work. So you have to get it installed now and get it activated. Okay, we beat that one to a dead pulp. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit now about Windows Server 2016. Windows Server 2016, um, we just had an evaluation of our network, and we have a couple. We, we are working really hard right now. Um, we have two more 
Windows 2003 servers. And I know you're going to say, Jack, you're out of your mind. Why didn't you get those upgraded a long time ago? You know, what's up with that? These are very low critical servers. And these are servers where um, I didn't feel that there was a big need to go out and buy 2008 R2 or 2008 at the time to upgrade these servers to, um, you know, kind of move that software into the new server. And, you know, the reason is, is like I said, it's just very, very not even critical software that we use. So what we're doing now is we are now moving uh, those couple applications to other servers that we already have running that's running very low utilization. And, you know, a lot of people said, well, you can load 2008 and you can. Uh, even in my courses, I told you, I still teach 2008 and 2008R2 because it's still being used. Uh, the end of life has not been reached yet. So you can still get your patches. You can still get your updates and your security patches. And it's fine to run 2008R2. So at this point, though, if you're going to set up a new server and you're going to start migrating everything into a new server base, at this time, you would do server 2012R2. And you would migrate everything into 2012 R2. That just makes perfectly good sense. But now we have to wonder, well, when's Windows Server 2016 coming out? And I was looking through, uh, right before the show, I was trying to do a little bit of research, trying to find out where um, or when it's coming out. And I really can't find anything. What I did find out is Windows Server 2016 Technical Preview 5 is currently available. All you have to do is sign up for a TechNet account, um, which is free. Uh, it's not the old TechNet. We used to pay for that at one time. But this is just uh, to be able to download the technical previews. Now, they are only listed as 180-day technical preview, so you can download it and look at it, play with it, kind of get the idea of how it works. And right now, I'm currently downloading that technical preview so I can get a look at it and get an idea of what it's going to be like to run that. Um, I'm suspecting or expecting that it's going to be very close to 2012 R2. I don't see where they're going to make a whole lot of changes. And even in uh, server 2012 R2, uh, when you sign up, and if you take my course, a lot of the stuff I talk about and a lot of stuff I show you in there, uh, the, the, the face of the server has changed a lot, but the underlying menus, the underlying structure of how you do things are still pretty much the same. So, you know, I'm going to show you that through the courses. And I expect that's what 2016 is going to be. Um, you know, I've been reading some of the stuff. I've been researching some of the stuff about what they've uh, enhanced and made better. And a lot of it is, you know, what they call behind the scenes or underneath the hood, uh, sort of speak. So I will be giving you a first look. I'm hoping to. I'm hoping to, if I get this uh, to run okay on a virtual machine, I'm going to bring this up and then we're going to take a look at this and I'll probably do some YouTube videos on it. So you guys can go to my YouTube channel, which is 42 Technoman, the number four, the number two Technoman. And I'll try to get some videos up on there. And I'm sure we'll talk about it in the podcast uh, over time about, you know, what I see and what I like and what I don't like. And if it's going to be that much hard to manage. Uh, but my question is now is what you got to start thinking about is if you have a 2008 R2 server, do you go out and buy 2012 R2 and migrate? Or do you kind of wait and hang back and say, well, I better wait for server 2016 because we know when it gets released, you know, pretty much 
the support and everything and the patches for 2008R2 are going to start slipping away. And we got to be very, very careful of where we spend our technology dollars. So that's something to think about. I am not sure exactly when uh, we would upgrade to this. You know, the server base that we're running now is good. But Microsoft has a very unique way of forcing our hand, folks. And you've seen that over the decades. And again, if you write software, you do understand that it's not because they're doing anything malicious. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, they're making us do it. No, they can't support that old code. And that is the problem here today is they can't get that old code supported anymore. You know, even if you look back at Microsoft, some of them programmers, uh, even at Google, Microsoft, uh, even at Apple, some of those programmers that wrote those early programs have retired. You know, you take the early Apple versions of like their spreadsheet program, I don't know what it was called, VisiCalc or whatever it was. If you take that program and you say, look, I want to upgrade that to the current, you know, um, OS 10 point whatever they're on today, Al Capitan or whatever they're going to make tomorrow, it can't be done because those people retired. You know, some of those people might have been, might have died off by now for all we know. So it's just something to think about, something to put in the back of your hat that it's not malicious what they're doing. It's just purely business. And I don't even believe it's business part of they're forcing you to do it. Um, and obviously I don't work for Microsoft, but they're not forcing you to do it. It's just the natural progression of software and the way things have to be. All right. Well, let's get into today's topic. I know you thought today's topic was just BSing about current and new software. But in reality, in reality, I did one. I did have a couple of things in my show notes to talk to you about today. Let's first go back and just for a minute. I want to throw this out there because I've had some emails that said, oh, no, Jack, you know, tips from the server room. Did you pod fade? Did you go into the a pod podcast obliviation? Are you gone forever? You know, <laughs> are you never bringing out another show? Uh, we've been waiting to hear something new from uh, from tips from the server room. And in reality, in reality, daily life gets in the way. Um, I think I told you on the last show, maybe, I don't know if I did a show after that or not. Um, you know, I had some knee surgery. Uh, I couldn't even make it up my steps to my studio and uh, to do a show. So I did one. I didn't, I don't know if I did that tips from the server room uh, last time I told you in my temporary studio that my wife set up in my kitchen. Um, or if I did one of the shows for one of my other shows. But any, regardless, life does get in the way from podcasting. I'm not trying to make any excuses. Uh, I love doing these shows. I love bringing you new stuff when I can find it. Uh, the Google Alerts helps me a lot. Uh, so no, I didn't fade away. I am here. Uh, but you can help too. You can help these shows. Uh, a big part of this show is your feedback. Um, and if you listen to Mike Smith on the Mike Tech Show, uh, he's one of the the gurus of podcasting. He's one of the all-knowing, all-saying guru, you know. Um, but anyway, Mike always has a lot of email feedback that he can answer. He always has, uh, you know, maybe, well, not always, but sometimes he gets voice messages he can play on the show. And that helps us. It helps us to know what you want us to talk about. It helps me to know what do you want me to research for you to try to bring it into more light. I mean, I've been doing this now, folks, for a good 25 years, uh, not podcasting, of course, but 25 years in the technical business. So I've been doing this a very, very long time. Um, I've taken numerous courses and numerous classes over the years on everything from, you know, uh, Cisco 
switches and Cisco uh, firewall programming all the way through servers, uh, security administration, uh, programming courses. So I have a little bit of information to share, but I need your feedback. So remember, drop me an email at jackstechcorner at gmail.com or call that voicemail number at 724-701-0550. That helps podcasters not to pod fade. And, you know, so for me talking on my own for, you know, 30 to 40 minutes can be a chore. Unless you ask my wife, she'll tell you that I can talk all night long and never stop. But, you know, that's a husband and wife thing. I'm not talking to her, obviously, about servers and trying to come up with new ideas for the show. So here's a couple little things I want to talk about tonight for the next 10 minutes or so, 20 minutes. We'll see how long I can stretch this out for you. The first thing is Microsoft Web Server and serving up multiple websites from one server. I get a lot of emails from my, uh, my online courses that I teach. And in there, I teach about setting up Windows Server, and I talk about how you would set up multiple uh, instances of web pages on one server. And a lot of people believe, they believe a misconception. They say, look, Jack, this is what you need to do. You, you have to have multiple network cards in there, so each network card has its own IP address, so that you can serve up multiple websites. Well, no. There's a couple ways we can do it. The first, the easiest way you can do it is with port management. We all know that the current port for a website is port 80, or some people will even say it's port 8080. Well, you can use port management and direct your websites through DNS to each different port. So with one IP address, we can set up multiple hosting packages or multiple websites and do that just by directing people to different ports on that web server. And as far as I can see, the ports are pretty much unlimited um, based on, you know, your creativity. So you can have 8080, you know, you got to stay away from the standard ones, you know, such as the uh, secure ports. But, you know, if you do 8080, 8181, you know, 82, 83, 84, 84, whatever, and you set those up, and then all we're doing is port forwarding through our firewalls. And we can port forward to the different uh, ports and direct people to those websites. Now, with that said, the way I like to do it is with multiple IP addresses, but with one NIC. Now, how do you do that? Well, it's very, very easy. If you go to your server, whatever's serving up your websites, your hosting server, and you go into your network card, you right-click on it and go to properties. And we know you go into TCP IP 4, right, version 4. You open that up. I believe it's the second tab. I'm trying to do this through vision here in my mind. I haven't set one up for, for, for a little while. But you can go in there and you can add multiple IP addresses. So you give it different internal IP addresses. And then through your firewall, all you have to do is statics for outside addresses. So you're going to need two things. One, you're going to need multiple inside IP addresses. So those are non-routable addresses. The second thing you're going to need is multiple outside IP addresses. And all you do is set up statics from, let's say, 72.101 to 192.168.1, 72.92 to you know 192.168.2, uh, whatever, so on and so forth. And then when you add that stuff, we're going to talk in a second about DNS, but when you add that stuff to your DNS and somebody goes to that website, boom, it comes through, it finds the outside address, it's static to the inside address, it goes to that IP address on that server. Again, multiple IP addresses on one NIC. 
because you can go into your Microsoft web server, used to be called IIS uh, for the older guys out there, Internet Information Server. And it's going to go in there and say, oh, there's the IP address. Here's the, uh, here's the root package or the root uh, folder that I'm supposed to be serving up. It looks for the default.htm or HTML, and pow, it serves it up to the Internet. That is a very, very simplistic way to do that. So I mentioned a couple times about setting up DNS. And now setting up DNS can be very, very confusing. I walk in a lot of businesses, and I hate to see this. I just want to grab the tech guy and just strangle him. And I would if I wasn't a professional. But what they do is, <laughs> on the inside, and I did this years ago, because before you understand DNS, it can be quite confusing. What they do is, and if you do this, I'm sorry, I'm not going to strangle you. Just listen to this part of the show, and then you'll know what to do. It's very simplistic. <clears throat> what they'll, <clears throat> excuse me. What they'll do is they're going to say, look, they'll tell all their people, hey, if you want to get to our uh, intranet or one of our internal websites, when you're in, in the building, when you're in your business, it's going to be HTTP colon slash slash 192.168.1.2, 192.168.1.3, 192.168.3.4. If you want to get to the internal email, it's 192.168. Come on, really? That is not even professional. That does not work in business because DNS was created for what? Pointing our IPs to a legitimate name that we can type. And the legitimate name, such as yourhost.com, it should go to yourhost.com. If you have internal mail, we used to have our own mail server, and I called it mail.mydomainname.com. Okay, what, now, set, now take out the my domain name and obviously put in yours, and it would go, it would take that person to that proper site inside my, my servers. Now, if they were at home, they would do the same thing. They would type in mail.mydomainname.com and go to the email address. This is very, very consistent. When you do it this way, when you don't understand DNS, this is what happens. Hey, folks, when you're inside and when you're in the office here and you want to get to your email, you go to HTTP colon slash slash 192.168.1.202. Now, when you're at home, folks, you know, write this down because this is going to get very confusing. When you're at home, folks, you'll go to HTTP colon slash slash uh, 72.90.222.30. And they're going to be like, what? And your CEO is going to say, look, you know what? You're excommunicated. You're fired. This is ridiculous. And you're just crazy. Um, but what you're doing is you're basically telling them when you're on the outside, you're going to use the outside routable IP address, which makes sense to us tech people. And when you're on the inside, you're going to be using the inside address, which is non-routable because you're inside the network. Okay, that was a lot said. And you can see where I'm very passionate about this. I love DNS. I love setting DNS up. Uh, I love understanding of how, you know, the site, when somebody types in something, I know where they're heading in my servers and I know where they're heading outside. So when you're inside, you should always set up an inside DNS server. In today's world, anything, you know, since Windows Server 2000, if you don't, you're very, very lost. Because what's going to happen is uh, we don't use WINS anymore. If anybody remembers WINS, the Windows Identification Naming System, we don't use that anymore. We are very reliant on DNS. So you need an internal DNS server. 
and you got to point every computer anyway to the internal DNS server. So what you do is you go to the internal DNS server and you set up a new zone. Now internally, new zone, okay? Now, if you're not familiar with this, again, go back and take one of my courses. I teach it in the course, a zone. A zone is basically just saying that um, a zone, you right-click, you say create a new zone, zone name, uh, mydomainname.com, okay? It doesn't really do anything. It's just basically a folder to, to hold all your records is what you're building. In that record, the A record, you're going to take the A record and you're going to say A record, okay? So you give it an A record. The name is, let's just say, www.mydomainname.com space, and then you give it the IP address where it's pointing to, okay? So where it's going to point to. Now that one, that's the trick. When you're inside, it points to 192.168.1.2 or whatever your, your web server is. Then you're going to create another A record. That A record's going to be what I call the root of your website. People don't do this and people get confused. And I know there's a couple local companies I deal with right now that are not doing this and it drives me absolutely crazy because it's so easy to do. The next A record is going to be simply this, mydomainname.com space and that same IP address. Now, why do you want to do that? Well, today's world, so many people like me, I go to a website, I don't want to type www. I think that is crazy crap. You don't need to do that. But for some websites, you do. And the reason is they don't build in that root web server. They don't build in that root name to go to their A record. They just build www. And you don't need to do that in today's world. You can just do both. And then that way you catch somebody that types in www or somebody that does not. Now, that's again, that's on your internal server. If you have an internal mail server, you'll do the same thing. Create your MX records. And unless it's web-based, that's what we've always used. But if it's an MX record, you'll put that in, point it to your local servers. And you can get them to your email servers. <clears throat> now, on that same note, we're going to talk a little bit. You're going to say, well, that's great now. We got the inside people working. But what about at home? What about when they're at home, they're outside the office, they're doing roaming sales, whatever your people are doing? And if that's the only DNS server you have running, and if in fact that DNS server is running, the outside people will never, ever find those addresses, folks. Those are only for inside people, inside your network. And, you know, it's a very, very easy thing to do. It's a very, very big rookie mistake. People do it all the time. So if you did it, just listen to this part of the show, and then you're, I'm going to correct you. You're, I'm going to help you out with this. What you need to do is find yourself an outside DNS server. All right. Now, the outside DNS server, there's many to choose from. There's many free ones. Uh, for, the, for the sake of security, I'm not going to tell you which one I use. But for the sake of the show, I'll just tell you there's many of them out there. Look for free DNS servers because you want something to put with your naming with your host to say, look, that's our domain server. That's our DNS server because we have to allow the world to know where to find our websites and we have to let the world know where to find our MX records and our email to make sure the mail flows into our, out of our networks. All right, very simple. Now, what you do there is you'll set up A records. Again, now this A record is going to say A record or, or A, you know, for record A, 
It's going to have that same domain name, www.mydomain.com. Uh, it's going to be pointed to the outside IP address, your routable IP address. And the same with the, the other one, mydomainname.com. Point that to the outside address. Because the way DNS works is when you're inside your network and you start typing that address, the first place it looks for a result is the closest DNS server to you. So it's going to look at your internal DNS server say, oh, I see it. Boom, throw you right on the internal server. You are done. It's fast as pie. If you set this up the other way and you only have an external DNS server and you type it in and you have no A records or anything in your internal uh, domain, your DNS, what happens there is it goes out, it goes to the internet, it searches the internet, it comes back through your firewall, it comes back into the same web server, you're doing a huge loop that doesn't need to be done. So what I'm teaching you to do is you can speed up those internal things, boom, boom, like a lickety-split. It's right there. It works great every time. When they're at home, they use the exact same name. They don't get confused, and they can come right in to that same server, and everybody's happy. Now the CEO, instead of telling you, pack it up, boy, you're out of here. Now the CEO is saying, hey, man, tech guy, you get a nice raise, man. And by the way, there's a, there's a you know, a $10,000 bonus this year because you are so smart and there. And you learned it for free from tips from the serve room. So you don't have to tell them that. You know, you can take the credit for this one. So there are a couple records that you need to understand. We've been talking about both of these. Um, and there's many, many, many more we go into um, at one point. Or another. And I think I did a show a while back on DNS and gave you all the records you need to know and how to set those up. But anyway, so there's a record. The A record is basically the domain pointer, or it's the, 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 the top record that points to your domain and your IP address. So that makes that, that naming conversion uh, that we used to use years ago with WINS kind of used to do the same thing. The MX records, again, is for your email to flow correctly uh, for your uh, mail exchange record, and this will point to your email server. So that's what the MX records are for. Now, the last note I had here was using a DNS server and setting it up yourself. And I'm talking about an outside DNS server. So many people I talk to, even so many schools I talk to, say, look, I don't know what DNS, I know what it does. They'll say, I know what it means, but I don't know how to set that up. That's way too advanced for me. And these are people that's been in the business for a while, but they just haven't taken the time to learn it, I guess is what it is. But setting up a DNS server, especially the outside DNS servers, and the inside gives you a lot more insight into your network and allows you to direct traffic where it needs to go. So setting up DNS uh, allows you to point your name to many, many services. And that's why I like controlling it. I don't want to make a change on a server. Let's say if you move your web host from one IP address inside to another, you, uh, you change it in your firewall. If you can program a firewall, and so many people out there I hear, I don't know how to program a firewall. I don't know why these people are in, in the tech business uh, because the tech business is so vast and you don't have to know everything, but know a little bit about everything. You don't have to know, you don't have to be an expert at everything, but you know, learn a little bit enough to, to get by on so you can make these changes yourself. So a lot of these places have to call, uh, Hey, Joe's DNS service. Yeah. Hey, I made a change on my uh, internal IP, uh, my external static. Here's the IP. Can you please change that? You know, and they'll say, yeah, I'll get to it, uh, Bob. Thanks, man, very much. And next thing you know, they're, 
It's taken them three, four weeks to get anything done because they're busy. They're doing their stuff. I can change our IP addresses and update update the DNS records and push them out to the internet, usually within five to 10 minutes. Uh, sometimes that's because, you know, you forget a password. No, I'm, not, I'm just kidding. But usually five to 10 minutes, I can have it updated. And within 24 hours, and that's just the way that DNS works through the internet itself, Within 24 hours, all the other DNS servers are updated with our current information and everything is flowing just fine. So if you use services such as Google Apps, Squarespace, or other hosting services, uh, you have an Exchange server in-house, or maybe you have multiple websites hosted anywhere, uh, you can tell that you know DNS server and you can move those IPs around at your will instead of somebody else's. So I told you about 40 minutes. Well, that wasn't bad at all. So folks, again, I hope that you truly uh, enjoy these shows. I know, you know, I get a lot of emails saying it's great shows. They like you like listening to them uh, in your car or whatever. Uh, but like I said, you're really helping me out if I start getting some questions in here. Uh, this show has been going on now. Uh, well, you figure even once a week or, you know, right now it's been once every couple of weeks, but episode 110. So we've been doing a lot of these shows over the over a long course of time. You know, I'm here. You know, my email address, jackstechcorner at gmail.com. You know the phone number, 724-701-0550. And you know the Amazon link. Yep, you knew that was coming. Please remember to use my Amazon link, folks. Last month was probably one of my best months ever. Uh, I got $8.20. I was just so excited uh, to get that money in because it helps. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm serious. I'm not condescending anybody. I'm not being rude. Um, $8 helps, $10 helps, $40 helps. I know you guys are buying servers out there. I know you guys are buying a lot of stuff on Amazon. And if you buy anything, if you buy car wax, use my Amazon link. It truly helps to show out. And I really, really appreciate it. If you visit tipsfromtheserverroom.com, make sure you deactivate your ad blocker and you'll see the Amazon link there on the right. So click on that. I believe right now it's a picture of a server. They put different ads on there at different times. Uh, click on that, then just go to Amazon and buy. It doesn't cost you anything more, but you greatly help the show because I get a few pennies off of every sell that Amazon makes. So, folks, thank you so much for listening to the show, and thanks for subscribing again. Thanks for downloading the shows. I do appreciate it. Uh, get the word out there and tell other people, hey, there's a great show out there. Okay, even if you tell them, hey, there's a mediocre show out there, about servers and they talk about computers and fixing them and da 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 da, um, you know, outside of Mike's uh, Mike's tech show, because uh, the Mike tech show is a great show. And, uh, you know, I always like to just throw his name out there uh, from time to time because Mike's a really good guy, works very, very hard in the industry and, um, you know, brings a lot of things to a lot of people uh, to teach you how to do great things in the industry. So, uh, and remember, if you're going to do great work, you know, go out there and do great work. Uh, if you're not sure what you're doing, don't take a job too big or too broad for your knowledge. Hey, that's my quote for the day. All right, folks, take care, everybody. I'll talk to you during the next show here at Tips from the Server Room. Bye-bye for now. You just listened to Tips from the Server Room with your host, Jack. If you have any questions, please drop me a comment at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. Thanks again for tuning in and downloading the shows. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the remainder of the music. We'll see you next week on Tips from the Server Room. So long. <laughs>